Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Fantastic. I do want to make one quick announcement. Go ahead and turn into your Bibles to John chapter 6. But we will not be having our general conference at the end of service. Um, Our clerk is out of town and there are a couple things we are waiting on. And so we're going to postpone it probably, I think, till next week. And so so just to let you guys know. John chapter 6. Trucking right along through the Gospel of John. I was trying to, I was planning on just spending a year in this gospel. I think it's going to take a little longer. That's great though. I love that. Um, and so I hope you do too. Uh, I hope you don't get too bogged down. Um, in a few weeks, we're actually going to take a break from John. Uh, in December, we're going to do Advent as we do every December. And uh, that's a wonderful time too. I'm so excited about Advent. And, uh, and then we'll get back into John in January. John chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 15. If you'll stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, And started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we get to study it, to look at it. And Lord, I pray that as we go into this, you will open up our hearts to your truth. Help us to see it in the text. In your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title of my message this morning is The Captain of My Soul. Invictus is a short Victorian poem published in 1888. That's where this title comes from. It became even more popular when the movie Invictus came out several years ago that starred Morgan Freeman and Matt Damon. Uh, The movie was dealing with the apartheid in in South Africa and and Nelson Mandela. Uh, Morgan Freeman played an excellent Nelson Mandela in the film. Nelson Mandela, in reality, would recite this poem for encouragement, especially when he was in prison. Franklin D. Roosevelt even would recite this poem at times. The poem goes like this. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. Listen to these last two lines. 
I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. The theme of this poem is the will to survive in the face of adversity. The author of the poem wrote this while he was in the hospital being treated for tuberculosis of the bone. Uh, he ended up, I believe, having his foot or his leg amputated. Uh, it, this, this disease actually ended up killing him in the 50s. The most famous part of the poem is the last two lines of the final stanza that says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. It, it, it establishes a sort of bold implication that you are in control of your fate and that you are in control of your soul. That nothing else can give you the strength in the midst of adversity except you. It's quite an atheistic saying. In fact, the author, William Ernest Henley, was an atheist. How often do we rely on our own strength, our own means, our own power in the midst of adversity, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of temptations? How often do we seek that strength within ourselves? Whether we're struggling with trials, whether it's paying the bills or dealing with illness, persecution, marital struggles, job problems, or whether we are fighting our sin day in and day out, struggling with it. We all have stormy lives. Sometimes the sea may seem calm and then all of a sudden a storm comes and we're struggling with something. Today, I pray that this message is an encouraging message. I want to plead with you today to not trust in yourself within your struggles and adversities. You are not the master of your fate. You are not the captain of your soul. Today, I want to point you to a different captain. Today, I want to show you, and this is our main idea that I want to get across to you. Jesus is sufficient in our fight for joy in a stormy life. Jesus is sufficient in our fight for joy in a stormy life. Now, this takes part in the same chapter where we came across last week, Jesus being the bread of life. So if you want to recap, last week we saw Jesus doing a miracle of feeding not just 5,000 men, but the, men, the women and children as well. Uh, scholars believe that there could have been as many as 20 to 25,000 people at this miracle. And Jesus took the bread and the fish and he distributed them among the people and they ate until they were full. They were fully satisfied. And John was showing us last week that through that miracle that Jesus is our bread of life. He's our true satisfaction because who doesn't like bread except for Vincent? Bread is so good. That's why at Olive Garden, I don't know why Olive Garden does this. I guess so they don't so that you don't buy the dessert. I don't know. But you get the breadsticks at Olive Garden. And if you're anything like me, those breadsticks are gone by the time the waiter comes back to refill your drinks. And then they bring you more breadsticks and then they're gone again by the time your food gets there. And then by the time they bring the check, that, that, that basket's gone too because you're cleaning your plate with the breadsticks. Bread is so good. It's fulfilling. And it's probably my weakness. Jesus is our bread, our true satisfaction. 
The passage that we're tackling this morning, it continues the same message that Jesus is our bread of life, our true satisfaction, that he is sufficient for us. But the disciples are struggling in this passage. They're in a storm on the sea. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, we see that stormy seas were symbols of the world in sin. Psalm 69, 1, David says, save me, O God. For the waters have come up to my neck. Psalm 69, 14 and 15, it continues. It says, deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Just like in this passage we are looking at, John is showing us how the disciples are struggling in stormy seas. But we're going to look at the stormy sea and look at it as how we struggle in a world that is tainted with sin. Church, we are going to struggle in this world. It's going to happen. We're going to struggle with trials and temptations. And you're struggling today. I'm struggling today. But today, I want you to leave here seeing Jesus as the one who is sufficient in your fight for joy. And I want to show you four reasons why Jesus is sufficient. So as we see here in this passage, the disciples have gone ahead. They've got into the boat and they've began sailing to Capernaum. Now, they're traveling on the Sea of Galilee. And it's about a six-mile boat ride across to where they are going. And if you know anything about the Sea of Galilee, you'll know that storms come up quite often and real quick. There's like no warning. But one thing we notice here is that Jesus is not with them. Verse 17. They got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. Where was Jesus? That's why we started in verse 15. Verse 15 answers that question. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. See, if we look at verse 15, after Jesus had fed the people, he knew that they were going to take him by force to be their physical king. You remember that last week, possibly. And as we saw last week, Jesus is the king we do not Deserve because they wanted to make him king on their terms. Jesus is our king on his terms. So knowing what the people were about to do, Jesus withdraws from them and he heads up the mountain by himself and he does this often. So where's Jesus? He's on top of the mountain while the disciples are going across the sea. See, now mountains in the Bible are symbols of authority and power. We see Moses went up the mountain to talk with God. We see the transfiguration happen at the top of a mountain. We see Abraham taking his son Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him, to provide a foreshadowing of God sacrificing his son. And now we see Jesus on top of the mountain while the disciples are rowing their boats. And so what's he doing up there? He's praying. But not only is he praying, he's watching. He's keeping a careful and, and caring eye on the disciples as he knows that they're about to enter into a storm. He's got a good view on top of that mountain. 
He can see it all happen. Now, here's my first reason why Jesus is sufficient in our stormy lives. Number one, Jesus is sufficient because of the prayers of Jesus that intercede for us. The prayers of Jesus that intercede for us. Now, maybe in a year or two, we'll be in John 17 where Jesus prays and we're going to see that prayer. But I know this morning you may be struggling, you may be hurting, you may be weak and tired, but I'm here to tell you this morning that we serve a risen Savior who sits in heaven at the right hand of God the Father and intercedes for us, caring for us, keeping a careful eye on us, lifting his nail-scarred hands, praying for us. Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. 1 John 2, 1, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Isn't it peaceful and comforting when someone lets you know that they're praying for you? I actually had a friend of mine text me this morning. He doesn't, he, he doesn't go here. He's actually a youth pastor of a church in Union County. And he, he texted me. He said, praying for you this morning, my friend, as you share the word with your people. Oh, that was comforting. My wife will text me every, every so often if she's not yelling at me. She'll text me prayers that she prays for me. And boy, that'll put a fire in my soul. I was reading my Bible early one morning this past week. It was Monday morning because my body hadn't gotten adjusted to the extra hour of sleep. Yeah, Monday. No, I'm sorry. It was Tuesday morning because Monday night I fell asleep at 830 at night. What, what in the world? I'm usually up till like midnight. Fell asleep at 830, woke up at 330 wide awake. And I'm like, man, it's a whole new world out here. So I'm in the I'm in the living room. I'm in my chair, my recliner. I'm reading my Bible and my son wakes up. It's like 430 at that time, maybe five. He wakes up. He gets out of his bedroom and he looks right at me. He just stares at me. Hair sticking out the back, just staring. I'm like, hey, buddy, what's up? He's like, what's up? <laughs> and then he walks over to me, climbs into my lap and cuddles up on me and starts falling asleep. I sat there and I prayed for him, as I do quite often. But that was just there was just something about that time that was very special. Church Christ is interceding for us. He looks at us with a caring eye and he prays for us. John Piper shares that Christ praying for us is essential to our salvation. Hebrews 7, 25. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. How comforting to know that Jesus Christ, our Savior, Redeemer, the creator of all things, intercedes for you and me. For all eternity. John Piper continues in saying that he prays for us and his prayers are answered because he prays perfectly on the basis of his perfect sacrifice. Not only is Christ sufficient for us in stormy lives because of his prayers, but also number two, the power of Jesus that impacts us. 
He is sufficient because of his power that impacts us. Look at verses 18 and, and 19 in the text. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. In the Matthew and Mark accounts, it, they were afraid because they thought they saw a ghost. See, these disciples have only rowed three or four miles. Now, remember, it takes you six miles to get, to get across. In the Matthew account, it shows that Jesus came to them at this time. It was around 3 a.m. They left when evening came. They had been rowing and rowing and rowing for hours. They had only gone three or four miles. They were rowing into the wind and into the waves. They were struggling because this storm is pushing them and fighting against them. Now, church, we don't have anything in this life that fights against us, do we? Church, we are constantly fighting against the culture that surrounds us, corporately and individually. We as believers are constantly fighting with the forces of this world. I'm talking about trials and temptations. We are fighting our flesh daily. And it's going to be tough at times. It's going to hurt at times. It's going to require sacrifice at times. And what are we called to do as believers in this world? We are, we are not called to change course. Because if we change course, we would be disobedient to God. We are called to keep rowing in obedience. It was Jesus who told them to get into the boat and go. It was Jesus who knew that they would encounter these storms. And we're called to continue rowing. Why? Because we have Jesus who is sufficient because of his power. What's he doing here? He's taking a walk on the water, church. The storm has no power against him. The water cannot overtake him. The waves cannot crash him down. And the wind cannot blow him over. He has power and it should impact us greatly. Because we serve a Savior who is not impacted by anything. These men, they look at Jesus and they're in fear. I just told you that it was because they thought they saw a ghost. They're truly impacted by the power of Christ that they see. See, we should be too. But not by fear. We can overcome these stormy lives by the power of Christ. Those trials we go through and the sin we fight daily for, they can all be overcome by his power so that we can find true joy in him. We are able to overcome them because of him. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. It's a long passage, but check this out. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, 
To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Christ gives us power because of His power. We're not fighting flesh and blood, are we, church? What does the Word tell us? Ephesians 6, 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Church, your boat ride of life is going to be you rowing and rowing and rowing and fighting against the culture that surrounds us constantly. But we rely on the power of Christ to overcome that. We find sufficiency in, in Christ because of his power that impacts us. And we can fight for joy in this stormy life by the power that he gives us. Rest in that. Rest in that and, and rest in this, that nothing in this world, no storm, no wave, no wind can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are going to fight against this culture day in and day out. Because I'm going to tell you, and this is what a friend of mine preached at the convention last weekend. He said, look at the Amish. They look weird, right? That's what he said. I'm quoting him. They look weird, right? Imagine that that's how the culture is going to view us. We are going to look weird in comparison to culture. Because church, we're going to be constantly fighting it. Constantly fighting it. But we can find that Jesus is sufficient in his power. That we can overcome it. We can overcome those trials that come our way. We can overcome the temptations that come our way. Because this culture is going to bring them. But Christ is sufficient in his, in his power. Not only can we find him sufficient in his prayers and in his power, but we can also find him sufficient because of number three, the promises of Jesus that encourage us. The promises of Jesus that encourage us. Look at what the text says in verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Those words fell over the disciples like the rain that was covering them from the storm. And it warmed their souls and encouraged them that Christ is God. Remember why John wrote this gospel. So that we may believe that Jesus is God. This really happened, church. Every account in the Bible really happened. The bread of life controls creation and he is sufficient because of his promises. And that should encourage us. I've learned as a parent that if I make a promise to my kids, I better keep it. We have told our boys the night before that we would take them somewhere the next day. And as soon as Jaden would wake up, boy, he's ready to get dressed and he's already telling us, all right, we're going, right? He knows. Church, Jesus keeps his word. He keeps his promises. He's made promises to us. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, here's the promise. 
I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, Christ never leaves us. He is with us always no matter what trial or, or temptation you are dealing with. These promises should encourage us no matter what comes our way. The word tells us that he gives us a way of escape when we're being tempted. The word tells us that he will provide for our every need. The word tells us that we shouldn't be anxious, but trust in Jesus. The promise that Jesus gives the disciples here, it is I. You know what that in Greek means? Ego eimi. That's important. Here's why. Because it's the same phrase that God uses at the burning bush with Moses. I am. Ego eimi. I am. It's what Jesus said. I am. Like God. He is God. Just as God split the sea so that the Israelites can flee the Egyptians, Christ has power over the water right here by walking on it. He's showing that he's God. Church, Jesus is God. We should be encouraged with that. And finally, not only do we find sufficiency in Christ because of his prayers, or because of his powers and because of his promises, but also because of his presence. The presence of Jesus that empowers us. Look at verse 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately, I want you to circle two words there. I want you to circle glad and I want you to circle immediately. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Some like myself believe that there's a second miracle here. They still had a couple miles to go. And Christ immediately brings them to their destination. Church, I'm here to tell you this morning that you are not the captain of your soul. You are not the master of your fate. And if you believe you are, you have given no room for Christ because he is the captain of your soul whether you agree with it or not. Once he became the captain of that little boat, he brought them safely to land. Church, Christ, the captain of our soul, no matter what comes our way, no matter what trials, persecution, temptation, worldly struggles, no matter what suffering we may have to endure, Christ, if we are faithful and obedient, joyfully having him as our captain, he will bring us safely home to heaven. Aren't you glad to have him in your boat? Aren't you glad to have him as your captain? Isn't that encouraging? Church, I don't know what you're dealing with this morning, but I can tell you this, that Christ wants you. He wants you to surrender to him, to, to be the captain of your soul, to be your ultimate joy, and for you to find him as sufficient, as enough. So would you turn to him this morning, no matter what you're dealing with? I don't, I know you're probably dealing with something, because everybody does. But God knows it as well. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows how you're dealing with it. And let me tell you something. 
the boat ride gets a whole lot easier when Christ is in the boat. It doesn't mean that Christ is going to take our suffering away. That doesn't mean that Christ is not going to allow any type of physical harm within us. It means that Christ's presence is empowering as we encounter those things. So church, where are you at this morning? Would you turn to him today? Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful, God, that you have provided your son to be the all-sufficient king, the all-sufficient savior, the all-sufficient captain of our soul. So God, I pray this morning that we recognize that joyfully, gladly, we recognize that Christ is the captain of our soul. Not the co-captain, not a passenger, not a stowaway, the captain. God, we don't deserve the love and grace and mercy that you give us each and every day. We don't deserve another day to glorify you, but you graciously this morning allowed us to wake up. So God, I pray that as we leave this room today, I pray that we see Christ as sufficient no matter what comes our way. We ask all these things in your son's precious and holy name I pray. Amen.